Hey folks, this week we've got Spike Stoker on the pod. He is coming in hot off a win at the Toyota Series event on the St. Lawrence. Um, he crushed him. It was also the final regular season Toyota Series event of the year. We've got just the one more coming up. It's the championship, of course, at the beginning of November on Lake Gunnersville. So, realistically, in about a month. Um, other than that, we've got some BFLs going on. We've got the uh, team series events that are filming in secret. Um, but uh, other than that, there's not a tremendous amount of you know actual competitive fishing going on, which I honestly don't hate because you know it'll mean I get to fish a little bit more. Um, but that said, we're in the off season. Uh, if you have some weird ideas, if you have someone in particular you want to hear from, uh, now is kind of the time. I have a couple ideas kicking around. Um, I kind of almost want to go back in time on the FLW tour a little bit and like do some history stuff, but uh, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how inspired I am, and uh, I think in the meantime, here is uh, Spike Stoker to talk about how to catch smallmouth. Alrighty, and we are joined now by Spike Stoker uh, from Texas, who is our newest Toyota Series champion, uh, won the Northern Division season finale up on the St. Lawrence River, had over 60 pounds of smallmouth, uh, beat Corey Johnston. Um, Spike, man, first of all, congratulations on a fantastic name, and then also congratulations on a really big win. Oh, well, thank you on both. Uh, my dad's the one that named me, so we can contribute that all to him. So, All right. Well, if I ever meet him, I'm going to definitely let him know. I think Spike Stoker is like just – it rolls off the tongue. It's fun. Um, <laughs> but, dude, I was looking at your stats, and, you know, you fished some – you fished some Toyota Series stuff. You fished a bunch of Bass Opens. You've done pretty well. Like you've had some, you've had some really close finishes. You know, you've made some top tens. Uh, but man, this one—it reading back through the coverage, it sounds like it kind of sounds like you didn't see this win coming. You know, I, I pre-fished, and you know, I've been up there. This is the second year I've got to go and fish the St. Lawrence River, and you know. I, it's it's like anything else. The more times you see the body of water, the the more familiar you get, and what it you know, and what the situation is that you need to do to to find them and catch them. And you know, I I really felt like I was I knew I was going to catch them, but you know, I didn't know that for one those weights were going to be able to do it because that's really a low weight. You know, I was thinking more in that upper seventy, you know, seventy to seventy five pounds is what it was going to take, or just just shy of that you know uh, for sure 23 24 pounds a day uh mm-hmm. the first day started out and then, you know that's kind of the way it went and then i was you know right there in the middle of the top and i said okay and i and i left them early the second day and the third day with that wind shift i mean it was it really i was shocked on how much it killed the bite you know even those days that i thought i was going to go and have you know in practice you can catch 40, 50, three pounders a day. Well, the second day when I was struggling, I wouldn't hit six or seven of those spots. 
without a bite. So, I mean, that was starting to get some concern. But, you know, it's really, it's really shocked me how, how low a weight it took to win. I, I didn't – there's not one time during the tournament that I thought I had it. You know, I thought I was too short the first day. I, I didn't think I had enough the second day. And the third day when I'm sitting in line, the whole time I'm like, man, I needed a six-pounder. And I, I just never got it. So I was shocked whenever, you know, I had enough. Yeah, yeah. So last year, um, you know, a little bit earlier in the year, uh, so theoretically, you know, the fish aren't maybe aren't quite as fat, but the top three ran to the lake. And it seems to me you've really got to account for, one, the lake, and then, two, just going out of Messina because most a lot of guys will burn a lot of time running going out of Messina. But the top three ran to the lake, they all broke 70 pounds. Uh, Chris Johnston was 77.15, honestly is maybe one of the most impressive paces, and he had some dead fish, is maybe one of like the most impressive tournament results that like we've ever seen. Like, I know that Elite Series event up there this year where, you know, two guys broke 100, like, it's very cool. Chris was on pace for more than that, with some dead fish, running two hours. Like, anyway, that aside... Brent Anderson was fourth. He fished in the river the whole time. He had 64 pounds, 7 ounces. And you had 64.12. You fished in the river the whole time. It seems like maybe, let's say, 64 to 65 is kind of the mark for a river-only tournament out of Messina. It seems like we might have established that now, that we've kind of got a little history. But I could agree, like... I heard about 30-pound bags in practice, you know? You might have caught some. Like, it was one of those things where you kind of you kind of felt like... It kind of felt like the river was fishing bad, almost. Yeah, I mean, I, I never felt like I was going to get 30 pounds in practice. But, you know, that the first morning, uh, you know, I had a 5.11, a 5.10. My co-angler caught a 5.11 and a 5.10. And then I had like a five five. Well, I mean, there's my thirty pound bag, which, you know, I, and again, I didn't. When it went into that closer to the tournament pre fishing, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't catch many. I mean, I looked for them and I would get a bite here and there, and you know, I, I wasn't catching them then. So that spot I found, you know, late in practice, <clears throat> and I pulled up and caught a five, and then I made the next cast and caught a five, and I said. I'm just going to start here. I mean, it, I wasn't far from where I'd been catching a bunch of four pounders. And I thought, man, I didn't see many five tens in the, you know, pre-fishing. A lot of them are in that three, nine to four, one, you know? So I never thought I had a chance at 30 pounds, you know, that day, if, you know, things would have worked differently. You know, if I would have caught the other two fives, I mean, those are almost sixes. I and mean, that's a, that'll get you there in a hurry. But, yeah, I know you had a mega bag there for sure. Yeah. And then also, and I've always kind of said this, if you, no matter what weight you're on pre-fishing, you need to knock it down three or four pounds uh, by the time everybody, you know, everybody goes out and pre-fishes them and beats on them and who knows what's been fished before you got there in the tournament, you know, just things like that. I mean, and that's, 23 is about what I thought I was going to have just because of the number of four pounders I've been catching. So, 
Yeah. You fished, so you fished the Bass Open there last year, right? And then you came up for, like, a pretty good chunk of the summer this year, uh, if I if I read the story right. Have you, like, basically spent, like, three or four months of the last year now on the St. Lawrence? Or, or St. Lawrence in Ontario? Well, you know, last year after the Oneida tournament, I took my camper and boat up to uh, Clayton because we, we went out of Clayton then and yep. I, I honestly didn't spend a lot of time in the river because I knew I could go to the lake and I had no intentions of ever going to the river. I mean, you know, I've seen the results and heard the stories and there's just so many great big ones on the, on the lake. You just have to go there. So I did spend some time in there and I, you know, my son came up and spent the summer with me last year before that tournament and, we on windy days we stayed in the river and caught them and you know this year you know, I went to the Potomac I left the Potomac and moved from there straight to Champlain and you know I flew home some during all of that just I left the boat and camper at, at the RV parks and you know I had of course you got work to do some too <laughs> so yeah. I had to come home and do some work but then I'd fly back up and fish so as soon as Champlain was done I took the camper up and as soon as my buddies heard that I was on the St. Lawrence River, it was, you know, I got those phone calls. Can I come up for a week? And then and I'm not turning anybody down. If I'm still fishing, I'm good to go. So I had several of my friends come up, and we, we fished the river, and I took them out on the lake. And when I, on the lake, we had several days that we had 30-pound bags. I mean, it was a – it's just a different animal out there. It's just – it's totally different. But in the river, I mean, that – 21 23 you know in there i mean that's it was almost every day of course it was before anybody was fishing them and then you know that last tournament that y'all had there i mean that was the, the week i flew home and i was actually fishing the day when everybody run past me i was fishing in the river and you know the first boat went by and i was like oh man this is the first day of the tournament and then here come 20 more boats behind them you know so <laughs> i kind of i had it on my phone on the live and you know, I was watching it just to, just to check, you know, and I, I stayed in that main river part, and those guys are running on up, you know, 40, 50. I was in the river, so every day I would check their weights against what I caught, and not one day could I have got over fifth place in that tournament with what I had because, you know, the river's good. I mean, don't get me wrong. We had a blast, and we caught tons of fish. But they're those, you know, three eight, three nine, four ones. I mean, just and not a lot of fours. And those guys were catching twenty two, twenty three pounds. So when I came back to do the actual pre fishing, I I started at Kingston, and I fished the first day from Kingston as far as I could make it, and I had eighteen eight. Then I started where I stopped, and I went from there and the next four or five miles, and I had, you know, nineteen and a half. The next day I had 24. The next day I had 24. The next day I had 20. And then the farther I got down, I started dropping back down into that 19, 18, 17. And then when I got right by Messina, which is 10 miles closest, I caught the most amount of fish and couldn't break 18 pounds. So just off of that alone, I said, there's an area from here to here where I caught a four pounder everywhere I went. 
So then I went the last three days of practice, and I idled everything in that three-and-a-half-mile stretch. And, not, you know, there wasn't many casts I made, but the ones I did was over a four-pounder. And then I'd say the last day of practice, I just I didn't even go. I, you know, cleaned the boat and straightened everything out. Because even fishing for that long, well, that boat turns into a train wreck in a hurry. So it took me all day to clean my mess up and then, like I say, just prepare for the tournament. And that's, you know, just get ready for Thursday. And is that kind of – so but, you didn't run all the way to Clayton, right, which is the thing that's interesting to me. Or maybe not the interesting no, thing. No, I ran one of the, the, right around Goose Bay, you know, the Goose Bay and that uh, right at the end of the American Straits. I mean – you know, it kind of opens up in the big water, and the current kind of slows down. And you know, I don't. I say I know. I don't know anything about smallmouth fishing. You know, just. But it was uh, in my in my mind, you know. There's just bigger ones there for whatever reason right now, and I think, you know, from looking back, and you know, it there it kind of moves. I mean, the, those big fish, that area was good this time, but it may be three miles back when the bites on you know yeah you got that many miles of river that's like you know 30 different bodies of water yeah no doubt because you know during the during the title um it was seemed like it was really hot sort of like around eel bay and like north of clayton in that ballpark but it was also really hot um kind of on like the east end of chippewa bay um, by the, uh, you know, right where that river starts to neck down again, basically, you know, on its way yep. from like Chippewa to Morristown or so. And for you, you know, you found them kind of in between yeah, the two it, areas, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, it's still that same, you know, four or five mile stretch right there. It was still good. I mean, it, it just seemed like the, you know, when you got to bite, you know, there were some three pounders in there, but most of the time when you got a bite in that area, it was a four pounder. And then, like I say, there was a scattered, you know, five or six. And one day in practice, I caught one that was like a six twelve. I mean, but it was all. And then when I would leave that stretch, I was still catching plenty of bass, but they were more in that, you know, upper threes. I mean, it. I say I don't. I took. I, I didn't really know, and I say I don't have that much history on it but it's just like fishing anywhere if you know i just felt like if i stayed in that area and and just kept fishing that that was the best chance that i had no doubt what kind of stuff were you fishing you know what like what sort of depth what sort of uh i assume you're mostly i know you're catching them you know carolina rig drop shot but like mostly were you super deep were you kind of mid-depth was it a long stretch did you have a couple unique little rock piles what was what was kind of the deal yeah, I mean, I was just looking for areas and to where it's got that chunk rock. You know, it's kind of a bolder look to it. You know, any rock is good, but I mean, when I could find that one, when I would see it on side skin, it didn't make it, it didn't make a difference where I was at on the river. When I saw that same looking rock on my graph, there's fish there, and in that area, and that's why I idled all of it. You know, I idled every bit of those edges, and and for me, I could catch big ones from like 17 to 35 
And now I had some rock piles. I mean, I had one in 87 foot, but you can catch a two pounder on as many times as you want to drop down there. But I never caught one over that. And that was even in 50. I had some good spots in 50 that were loaded with, you know, two and a half and threes, but they were never, you know, never over three. I mean, I don't know if it's just the depth of the water or the time of the year, but I mean, the fish were there. They just weren't as big. But if I would stay in that 17 to 35, and just, I mean, I only fished the areas that had that rock. And then once I got past them, I would just go to the next one. And, you know, I, I didn't drift. I mean, I knew when I was there fishing with my friends, we, you know, I was just straight drifting. I would just pull up and just drop the trolling motor and drop my bait down and just keep it even with the trolling motor as I went backwards. Every one of my friends that was with me stood in the back of the boat and wrecked them. I mean... I I just walked back there and let them run the trailer motor so I could catch one. But they, you know, the back of the boat gets there first. So yep. in the tournament, you know, your co-anglers, those guys are are good fishermen. I mean, they're you know, they can catch them as good as I can. And I knew if they got to them first, they were going to catch them. And I I think that you know you always got to do something different and to win the tournament. And I think what helped me is I was determined to find a way to catch them without drifting over them. And, I mean, I played with weights and, the you know, different sizes of line and hooks. And, you know, I finally got the right setup, what I thought was the right setup. And I could throw that Carolina rig or even my drop shot, either one. I just started throwing the Carolina rig because, you know, it's a lot easier. I got bigger line. If they'll eat it, you know, my chances to me getting them in are a lot better on 12-pound than 6-pound, you know. Especially mm-hmm. with the millions of zebra mussels, it doesn't take much of a nick in six-pound line to be critical. But I could throw it up there above what I was wanting to fish, and the weight was just the right amount of weight to where it would hit bottom. But then the current would carry it at the right speed, and I'd just sit there and hold the line tight. And as it would come across, it would just stop. And every fish I caught, I'd pull against it, and it would be heavy. And you just feel, you know, a lot of times it'd be zebra muscle. You'd be hung up in the rock and you'd have to pop it loose. But every one of them felt just like a rock. You'd pick it up be heavy on the end. It's no longer going with the current. And you'd pull against it and you'd feel just a little tug. And then you just lean against them and you'd have them. And uh, like I say, the Carolina rig, a little bit bigger line. I mean, I just felt better. Because, you know, I bet I retied. Shoot. 150 times a day just because it felt like all I did in the whole tournament was retie. But you can <laughs> make one cast and that weight get in the middle of that zebra muscle and you'll you need to retie. Yeah. Well, Pontester, you're using 12. Um, how much, how heavy was your uh, weight? What were you doing on that side of things? It depended on the wind. Like the wind went with the current, I would throw a little bit bigger, but I one ounce and three quarter. And, uh, I was throwing them on a, you know, those Carolina keepers. I love throwing those on a Carolina rig just because you only have to tie one knot. And if you tie three knots, you got three chances for something to go wrong. And I, like I say, and it's so much faster. Your zebra muscles tear up right by the weight. I can grab my pliers, slide it three foot up my line, cut it, retie my hook, and I'm back fishing. Well, I ran out of them. And then the, the last day I had to use a swivel. I mean, it took. That takes a lot of time to retie three every time. 
So a Carolina but, Keeper, is that like a, just kind of a big, light. is it like a big peg or? What it's a I... little, they're round and they're about a, all oh, three eighths of an inch long or a little shorter and they have a slit in them and you pinch them with your pliers and it opens up the hole and you slide your line through and like on a three quarter ounce weight, you can put two of them on your line and just slide it up to however long your leader is and let go of them and they'll they'll hold it and it doesn't doesn't cut the line and doesn't tear up your line it just holds the weight steady but like i say when you need to do it you just pinch it with your pliers you slide it up your line however far you want to go above the bad spots and then tie your hook back on and you're fishing again i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm literally on the bass on the bass pro website right now i'm gonna i'm i'm gonna order some of these for next year that's I hadn't seen those before. That <laughs> hey, looks I'm like you, super handy. <laughs> all I use, I don't use a swivel anymore. And like, if you go to a one ounce weight and, you know, I used to use glass beads and I've tried brass clickers and my go-to thing now on a Carolina rig, depending on how much weight I want, but let's say I want a three quarter ounce weight. I'll take a half ounce, slide it on my line normal, a tungsten weight, and then I'll take a quarter ounce, and I'll turn it around backwards so the the butt of the weight hit each other. And I'll slide it on. And then I'll put my Carolina keepers and then tie my hook on. And those tungsten weights won't, you know, the glass bead I got with tungsten that started breaking the bead and mm-hmm. then cutting my line. Well, those two beads, those two weights, I mean, they hit together and they clack loud and it sounds good. And you never have to worry about it cutting your line. Was that extra noise? Like, was that kind of important, do you think, to get the fish to either trigger or come I didn't over? do it there. Okay. You know, I didn't. I only put one weight on it here. And I'll tell you why. Because I knew I was going to lose a bunch of weights, and it didn't seem to make a difference either way. So I just slid one on there, and it worked. And I just, you know, you know how it is. When something's working, I I hate to change it. I mean, it's all, half of it's in your head, I think. You know, it's a lot of it. You got to talk yourself into what you're doing. And if, you, if you've got it down to where that's what it takes, then that's what it takes and just stick with it. No doubt. No doubt. Um, how did you, you mentioned, you know, you've been, you've come up now a few times for the St. Lawrence. How did you get on that pattern of looking for that specific type rock? Because there's so many different, like, places that fish live on up there you know you can almost every little bump in the river has a bass right and i mean i one of my friends is randy sullivan and uh last year when i actually went up there when i was there he was there and man we fish together here all the time we fish all the team tournaments and all that stuff here and so anywhere we go that one's been and one hadn't, you know, we always try to help each other out. Now, he's the one that showed me the right-looking stuff. He said, this is what they get on. He goes, you just have to find every bit of it because, you know, he said, yeah, they move around a lot. So, you know, you may pull up to one spot that's the best you've ever seen, and they may not be there for three weeks. But then the next, you know, three weeks later, they could be there. So, you know, he goes, just don't get hung into that one area. You know, you know what to look for, and just keep moving till you find the ones that are biting. But you know, and out on the lake, he's especially out there. He he showed me exactly what to look for, and even those individual boulders out there. And 
and it, the same looking stuff is good in the river too. Okay, interesting. Um, that's that's kind of cool. And at whatever depth, or well, whatever depth within a region, basically that whole mid depth range, you find that kind of rock, you think that you're good to go, basically. And, and then it was holding true now. I mean, and I don't know. Like I say, I've only been there that time of year, so. I'm sure they're, they move deeper and shallower and, you know, different times of the year. But, I, you know, I, say I, I just I haven't been there. Luckily, you know, the summers when I've been there, the both times that I've been there, and, you know, they, they're all they're the same places. So, yeah, no, no doubt. Did you, when you were, uh, when you were fishing, that those last few weeks before the tournament and then even during the tournament, did you notice the fish moving around on you at all or changing? Because I was talking with Brent Anderson the other day and we did like 40 minutes on the phone and he had a lot of, you know, we had to commiserate a little bit because he definitely, he was in the hunt there. But did, uh, he kind of said that a lot of the fish, it seemed like they moved around on him a little bit or that they weren't really where... Like, something was changing almost during the tournament. Or for you, did they kind of just stay put? Well, it got worse every day. You know, the first day, it was just like it was in practice. I mean, we pulled up, we caught those big ones. You know, once I got, you know, over 23, you know, I I was like, man, I I told my co-angler, I said, look, you got a good stringer here. I got a good stringer. I said, let's leave them because there's really nobody else in my area. I mean, there's nobody around me. And I told him, I said, I've got, I've got some places that have hundreds of three pounders on them. I mean, it's the craziest thing I I ever saw. I mean, you catch one and there'd be 15 or 20 that come with them. And then now they're right underneath the boat and you just drop straight down and catch them until you, you know, but they're all three pounders. And I said, let's go hit some of those spots and just see if we can, you know, we might catch a five mixed in there. We never did. We got to catch a whole lot of fish, and it was fun, but nothing. The second day, the wind shifted out of the other direction, was coming across the current, and hard. And, I mean, I, I didn't have a trolling motor the first part of the morning, so I was looking at my track last night in my shop, and I was looking at it, and the wind was blowing me up and across the current because i tried drifting you know with no trolling motor but i'm going up and across the current and of course i never got to buy it the fish don't want it that yeah, way, no way. <laughs> uh oh no so i think and, and i don't know I mean, people that have been there they probably know way more than i do but i feel like the wind you're in a lake with no current you take a hard wind out of any direction it pushes water to the other end of the lake so the mm-hmm. next day you had no matter if the wind's not blowing, you still have a current coming back because that water got displaced. And now it's pushing back to where it was. You know, it's leveling back out. And I feel like even the, the the last day wasn't great because it blew hard enough that it slowed the river down to a point that even the third day of the tournament it was getting better, but I don't think the speed of the current caught up yet. And you know. Whatever that does to them with that slowing down or changing that speed of the current, I mean, it makes a huge difference because that the third day, you know, it 
we couldn't get those. Those places that were just loaded up, you know, some of them are like 40, you know, 39, 40 foot, and nobody touched them. I mean, I could see them from where I was fishing. Nobody else fished them, but there wasn't a fish there. I mean, not a single fish. So, hmm. yeah, I mean, I, he's exactly right. I mean, they move, and they moved around a bunch, and, I mean, luckily that one school just, I mean, they never really, I mean, it was really good the first day. It was okay the second day, and there was a few left the third day. I do a lot more scrambling the third day, and luckily some of those places were good again. But it wasn't it wasn't as good as it was. I mean, I'd catch one or two, but they were good ones. So, okay. you know, I don't know why they move. I mean, I say somebody probably does, but I just know that I if they weren't there, you know, I pull up and drop the trolling motor. I don't see them. I didn't make many casts, and I was on to the next spot. Yeah, somebody knows, and it's definitely someone Canadian. That's a that's. The, I'll just assume that. <laughs> I bet there's a a Johnson brother that can tell you exactly what it is, but he won't say. <laughs> yeah, I'd say it's pretty good odds. He don't that. want everybody to know. <laughs> yeah. What um? Uh, what happened on day two with your trolling motor? Because I I read that and I saw. And I can't, I can't imagine fishing that place in a wind without a trolling motor. I, that must have been so brutal. How did you get it fixed? What was broken? Well, I mean, you were talking about how it was closed several times, and, you know, it, it always seemed like I, I would be so close, and then I would have some kind of mechanical failure. I mean, it happened to me at Oneida last year, uh, St. Lawrence River last year. I mean, it just... I just felt like I could never catch a break, you know. Was, I couldn't win for losing, you know. And the, you know, I've got what I think is a perfect setup in the boat, controlling motor and batteries and everything. I've never, you know, I never had an issue with this setup. But I've got 125 uh, ionic lithium batteries and a power pole charge. And you, in the end of a day, you fish 10 hours, 12 hours a day. It's at 85% when I put it on the trailer. So, I mean, you can't even touch them. Well, the first day of the tournament, you know, I weighed in at 4. At 3.45, my trolling motor kicks off. Just done. And I pull up the app on my phone, and they're all turned off. They're at 0%. And I was like, oh, man, I got a terrible problem. You know, we, we did a lot of running today and not a lot of fishing, and I got dead batteries. So I get yeah, back to the RV park. Well... The pole that I plugged my boat into had a 120, you know, that's a 20 amp, 120 plug. I don't know when it tripped the breaker, but, you know, I flew back in and I got to pre-fish for like eight days. So my boat never charged for eight days. I fished every day except for the day before the tournament. So I had eight days of fishing with no charge, just what the power pole charge put in. And it made me all day long till 3.45. And uh, so I get back, the batteries are turned off. Oh, I mean, they, when I bought those batteries, they said, oh, you just need the 50 amp hour. And I was like, I don't care what I need. I want the 125 just for something like that. And because, uh, you know, if you, can, if you can make sure that you have enough, you, mean, you might as well do it. I mean, there's no reason to, to just get what you need, especially in a tournament like that. So... I get back to the campground. I have to get the batteries turned back on, which you have to hook them. The starting battery was still charged, so I hooked it 
you have to have jumper cables to each battery, and if you let it sit there, it'll equalize, and it'll turn the battery back on so the charger will read it. So I did that, got them all put back together, got them up to where the power pole charger would read them, and then they started charging. Well, I mean, I didn't sleep at all that night because every 30 minutes I was looking at my phone to see where my batteries were, which with those 125 batteries, I knew if I could at least get them to 50%, they would make a full day with no problem. So, you know, about midnight, I was at like 64%. So I'm like, I got it now. I went to sleep. Well, I unhooked everything that night. I mean, every battery, everything was unhooked as I was getting them turned back on. Well, evidently, one of those leads, I didn't get tight. So... When it was time for takeoff the next morning, you know, I turned all, everything's on ready. So when I get there, I can just go to fishing. And as I'm running down the lake, I can hear the trolling motor turning off and on. You know, it just every time it turns on, it beeps. Yep. And I heard it beep a hundred times, and then it quit beeping. And I was <laughs> like, okay. It's, it, and I don't know what it was doing, but it quit. And I get there, and there's no power to it. So I'm like, okay. Had, I must have left the lead loose because, you know, I'm just trying to think of what could be wrong. So I go back there, sure enough, one of them was loose. Well, as we were hitting those waves, it was, you know, losing contact and shortened. And I guess the battery read that as a problem and it turned off. So now I got a battery turned off and it shut the power pole charge off. I mean, I'm not getting anything. So, like I said, that's what I told him. I kind of shorted out a little bit, you know, I got mad and I'm just like, I can't believe this happened. I call Mark and I said, Mark, can I go to a Marina and buy a set of batteries? I mean, I, I'm dead in the water. And he said, absolutely. He said, whatever you need to do, just get it going. And I said, okay. So I thought, man, if I can just get that thing to turn on. So I go back there and I take the jumpers to make 36 volt and I hook it to a battery you know, I hook it to the good, the one that's on, to the one that's dead. <clears throat> Pull it up on my app on my phone. Nothing. Still won't read. So I told my co-angler, I said, let's just drift. You know, let's. I'll pull ahead of them. And I think this is also what kind of killed them late for the second day. Because those fish were there. But now I'm drifting over them. I'm driving the motor around them and I'm drifting over them at the wrong angle. And I did that for an hour. And then all of a sudden, I, I keep looking at the app on my phone. I looked down, I got all three batteries 99%. So I ran back there, unhooked that jumper, hooked everything back up like it's supposed to be, tied it all down tight, flipped the switch, trolling motor came on, and it ran the rest of the time. So, like I say, I was prepared, but man, I just, you know, trying to find something like that when you're on the water and that, that early in the morning, something that's open and then trying to do it while you're down on the floor of the boat. I mean, it's the best case happened that, you know, I got it to come back on and like I say, ran perfect, just like it always has. I mean, I, that was my fault. I mean, not checking the breaker on the campground and not checking my boat the day before the tournament. I mean, that goes right back to me and then not tightening it up because I was in a hurry that night. I mean, that all of that is was self-inflicted. Like I say, I'm just glad that it worked out. Yeah, it's 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 key that it worked out, and then you know you'd also you fished good enough once you got it back going 
that you were able to make up for the lost time. Because, you know, you you could have come in with 15 pounds, right? That That is not something that would be unexpected. And you overcame that. You know, you came in with 20 pounds. I mean, one thing that was good about this tournament, I mean, and it goes for every tournament, you have to fish clean. When you get a bite, because you know, you're only you're limited to so many bites in a day's time. And if you get a bite and you lose a key fish, I mean, not only does it kill your morale and, you know, it gets in your head, but, I mean, those are those bites you lose are hard to get back. And for three days, I never set the hook one time that I didn't get it in the boat. And, I mean, just – it's just from pepper, you know, preparation and, you know, having the right rod, the right line, you know, just everything has to be right to get it done. And, you know, the right hook is always important. I mean, the way they're biting so soft and, you know, you, it just, you have to catch everyone that bites. And, you know, I think that's one thing that also helped me is I, you know, I never, I never lost a fish during the tournament. That is super key. And smallmouth, like, between the zebra mussels and just how frisky smallmouth can be, that's a that's a tricky thing. Uh, oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, they love to come off the bottom in 30 foot and jump high level with you. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Uh, There's something about that first jump. It blows my mind. I, every, like, it's scary in a tournament, but golly, it's like. They're just, I can't get over it's how amazing oh, first, of a fish they are. Yeah, that, uh, the first time we fished there, we I was pre-fishing in Oneida, and we figured out what we were going to do there, and my son was up with me, and, you know, he's, he's 17, he's fixing to graduate, and he's already signed up to go to Tarleton State University, he's going to fish on their fishing team, so Sweet. he's excited about that, but we were up there, and Randy you know, sent me a waypoint to the lake, and he said, go to this rock pile out on the lake, take Braden out there, let him catch a big smallmouth. Well, it just so happened, the next two days was glass calm. So Braden and I loaded up, we ran up there to the lake, we put in at Henderson Bay, and we ran out there, we pulled up on that spot, and first cast, which, I mean, it's it's funny, because, yeah, we don't throw a little six-pound line and spinner on back home. I mean, we got Lake Ivy that full of you know 10 to 14 pounders so i mean that that, that rod doesn't get used a lot down here but uh, the first bite i got a six six pound line i set the hook and it comes straight out of 30 foot of water and jumps as tall as my head hits the water and goes straight back down to 30 foot i mean instantly well almost to the bottom i had my drag too tight and broke my line and i said Oh, so then you know, I said, oh, what we got to do is you leave it tight enough, you can pull into them, and as soon as they start heading to the top, you back it off because when they hit the water, back to the bottom. And then, you know, like I say, fishing all that, it's just a, every bit of this is just a learning curve of something different. And, you know, we had a great time out there. I think Braden caught the biggest one. He caught one that weighed seven pounds and nine ounces, which I've never even seen one that big in my life. Oh, and we man, had, I'm so jealous. Uh, 31 pounds and three. Oh, we caught it. We had 31 three on our five biggest. Wow. And it was, uh, I've never, I mean, we caught so many. It was just so much fun. And then the second day we went out and we looked around and caught them in different places. And we were so excited to get up that Sunday morning and go do it again. 
and the wind was blowing 20 miles an hour. And we put in at Henderson Bay, and we ran around the corner, and they were like six footers, you know. And I, we just turned around, put it back on the trailer, and went back to Oneida. <laughs> yeah, probably like, yep. I guess not, this is the day we're not on Lake Ontario. <laughs> yeah, so, gosh, that's cool. No, it, but like I say, it's a uh, that whole area. I mean, it's it just all those lakes are so good. I mean, Oneida is awesome. You got Champlain and Cayuga. I mean, we just ran around, you know, last year was there for so long just playing and everywhere you went it's full of fish. And and what was weird to me, there wasn't a lot of people fishing. I mean that here I can go out to the lake right now and there I bet there's twenty boats at the, the trailers at the ramp. And there was nobody fishing even this time. I mean, there was nobody fishing until just a few days before the tournament and then you start seeing bass boats i mean most of them are walleye fishing or doing something else i mean i think that lack of pressure on them really makes it awesome too and i guess it froze over half the year so like you know they they get off that time too so yeah i think that's a pretty key aspect to, to why our fishing is so good you know we've got We've got seasons, which, you know, gives them some built-in protection and then also some, you know, legal protection in the in the spring. From, and then it's, uh, man, we just do not have the numbers of ass anglers that there are in Texas, that there are in Alabama. And the fish, uh, the fish right. live an easy life compared to, <laughs> you know, compared to a Tennessee river bass or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, last fall um, on Champlain, I think I saw one other bass boat for basically two months of, you know, fishing, which is a pretty cool thing. Um, right. Because even now, well, like, yeah, people go into the, the woods and stuff, and they hunt there. and things like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, when I left the Potomac River and moved my camper to Champlain, that, I mean, I fished. Uh, three weeks right in there before I flew home, and I was the only person besides the guy that was perch fishing that put in every day. I was the only bass boat at the ramp, and then on the lake, I mean, Champlain's huge. Oh yeah, and I, I might see one other bass boat while I was there, and I mean, it was it's just a strange feeling to be on that awesome of a body of water and not have anybody else around. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. I really appreciate it. Um, but definitely, it makes me like if I'm down in Florida or whatever, and it's like there's people fishing around you. You're like, man, I wish these people would get out of my hair, even if they're not even that close. <laughs> because with Champlain, it's like if I don't have a mile <laughs> of space, like I'm being crowded. What's going on here? <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. How did you? So how uh? How did you get into tournament bass fishing? You know, I guess I assume you're born and raised in Texas, and down there it seems like it's just a way of life, right? Yeah, I mean, I was I was born in Breckenridge, Texas, and you know, I was lucky enough uh, when I was a kid that uh, you know the Breckenridge Bass Club. I, my grandpa is the one that took me fishing when I was a kid, and he loved catfish fishing, and you know, he had a ranch there on the river north of Breckenridge, and he loved the catfish fish, but at some point when I was a kid, you know, somebody took me bass fishing and I like bass fishing. So 
My dad said it was the strangest day of his life when my grandpa started putting bass in his catfish tanks. So, <laughs> you know, he, he let me go, and he took me all to the surrounding ranches and let me fish in them. And then, like I say, the Breckenridge Bass Club, there's a bunch of good guys in there. And, oh, they would take me, Bobby Rogers and Ed Henry and those guys, I mean, they would load me up in the boat when I was 13, 14, and let me start fishing tournaments, which my dad and I fished all the time. Uh, but you know, he worked out of town in the oil field a lot. So those guys, when he wasn't there, that he would, uh, they would let me fish with them in the tournaments. And then when I turned 16 years old, uh, dad bought me a boat and let me start going and fishing. And, you know, I think there was a stretch in there from when I was 16 until I got into college that, you know, I was, I made the top six every year in the bass club, you know, just, and those guys, you know, just going off what they taught me and, just learning as I go, but, you know, I just got the bug for it and I, you know, I enjoyed it and I, I really liked the hunt of finding the fish. I mean, I think that's one of my favorite parts of fishing. I love to catch them, but it's really satisfying when you go to a new body of water and you, you know, you find what's happening. I mean, I really enjoy that. And, uh, you know, my dad always tells a joke to everybody that, you know, he wanted me to, make sure that you know, he bought me a boat and a truck and let me fish all these tournaments and do all this stuff in school you know that way he'd keep me off of drugs and then he says you know looking back on it it might have been cheaper if he'd have got on drugs <laughs> <laughs> yeah because you yeah. know truck and boat and gas and entry fees that adds up right all <laughs> oh, tackle i mean now it's even worse you get you know some of those online tackle stores it's pretty easy to spend a thousand dollars and get it in a box that you can put in your back pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially if you uh, want something cool from Japan. I mean, you're you're dropping some coin, right? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, like I say, I always told everybody, I was like, man, I'd love to have a tungsten tungsten weight and line sponsor because I mean, I I change line all the time. I mean, if it's like in that tournament in my Carolina rig rod, I've I had two of them rigged up, and all three or you know all three days I had brand new lines starting the day. I mean, I didn't want to take any chances. The zebra mussels are so bad. You I mean I say even twelve pound line? You know, if you come here, I re-rigged all my rods here, and I've been fishing a couple of days back home already. I got twenty and twenty-five on there, so I mean, it takes a lot to break twenty-five in Vizex. You get up there at 12 pounds, it doesn't take much to do it. I mean, you rub a rock the wrong way, and that's, it's gone. Yeah. You know, every fish I caught on that Carolina rig, when I get them close to the boat, I just push the button. And if they made a run, I just let them have it until they quit because I don't know what my line looks like after I drug it for, you know, 20 yards. Yeah, yeah. I did so, that at Oneida just this last weekend. It's You'd, like... Even on your first cast, maybe with a new with a new line, an eighteen pound test, it's scary to boat flip a fish because you don't know what that hit when it hit the first time it hit the bottom. You know. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, it, uh, yeah, I mean, at Champlain, there was several times that you know, I'd reel in a fish in that grass, and the grass had zebra mussels in it. Yep. You know, they were growing on those big stems of grass. I mean, you're not safe anywhere there. Yeah, no doubt. So you, uh, you know, you fished the Opens for a while. You didn't fish them this year. You fished the Toyota Series. And 
I guess, you know, you have an outside shot of getting an invite to the Invitationals out of the Southwestern Division. You finished 10th in points there. Um, made the championship out of that division as well. Finished 26th in the Northern Division. What's uh, What are your kind of fishing goals? Is it, are you trying to work your way to the highest level you can get to? Do you just enjoy fishing tournaments? What's sort of your, your current status? Yeah, I mean, I think in the point of all of this is to go as far as I can go in it. You know, uh, I was joking with Mark the other day when I talked to him, and I said, I just want to get far enough up that I'm the only one fishing in the boat. Because then, I'm telling you, the co-anglers are so good now that, you know, it really changed the outcome of what you can do. I mean, it really does. Oh, yeah, big time. uh, I, I would like to be to the point to where and it's not just for me, it's everybody that's fishing, but I just like to be to that point. So if I want to cast straight over the back of the motor because one blows up, you know, I'm not disrupting somebody else's fishing. But at the same time, you know, I would love to go all the way up to the top. I mean, that, that, uh, it would just be fun to do it, I think. And, you know, I'm at a point in my life now where I have the time to do it and I'm not getting any younger. So, you know, I'd like to just see what I can do and, I love to fish, you know, and once you get to over 40 years old, there's not a lot of competition you can do. I mean, you know, if I wanted to play any kind of sport, I'm telling you right now, there's a lot of them 20-year-old kids that I can't beat. But, you know, I can still be competitive in fishing, and I I feel like for another 20 years. Yeah, I think that you're unlikely to probably start an NBA career right now uh, or something like that. Yeah, I mean, fishing is is on the table. Yeah, that uh, two-inch vertical jump really hurt me in that. <laughs> um, how about, okay, this is a side question. I So if you got the call down, like if a spot opened up, which is not a guarantee out of 10th, I guess, would you fish the Invitationals next year, or would you or would you be another year at Toyota Series or Opens or whatever? What Do you think you, you'd probably jump at it then, right? It sounds like. Oh, absolutely. I would sign up the day they called me. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm going to cool. go ahead, as long as there's no conflict in the schedule, I'll sign up for that, and then I'll go ahead and sign up for the the three northern terms again just because I love it so much up there. Yeah, it's hard to pass, especially that time of year. I mean, I'm sure in Texas in summer, in the summertime, you got to really want it to be uh, outside on the water that time of year, whereas up north it's a pleasure every time you launch the boat, you know. Yeah, right before, I fished a tournament right before I left to go back with one of my friends, and it was like 110, not a breath of wind. I mean, it was – it's still, we caught a lot of fish, but, I mean, it was – it's totally different when you go up there and it's 79, you know. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. just uh, – it's nice. I mean, that's all my buddies that came up and fished, but that's the same thing they said. They're like, oh, man, you fish all day. You're not even tired when you get done. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> – 110 degree air sucks it out of you. You know, Mark and all the guys and even the ladies there in the office and guys that take the money and, I mean, everybody's just so nice. I mean, I would, I mean, I would love it if I made it in to, to fish the next level of the tournaments. Just, it's a great organization and they're, they're so nice. And they, and I say, it's just, it amazes me the difference in a lot of times in different things, but they want to talk to you and they want to help you. And it, it really is nice when you call. 
I mean, all the way through the weigh-in line is just those guys are nice and friendly and joke with you all the way till you get to the stage. And, you know, I just want to brag on them a little bit because it's not like that everywhere you go. Yeah, well, I definitely appreciate it. Uh, I think we've got a good thing going for sure. Um, I, maybe my last question, probably my last question. I've kept you for a long time. I really do appreciate it. But Pet Supplies Plus is my favorite sponsor I've ever seen because it's got this nice, happy-looking dog on your jersey. Um, do you own it? Is it a sponsor you picked up somewhere along the way? What is the story? Because I don't think I can remember a pet food sponsor since, like, uh, IAMS, like back in the FLW tour days. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, what it is is I've got uh, Pet Supplies Plus is, you know, they have franchise stores and they have, you know, corporate stores. And and I've purchased some of the franchise stores and, you know, and that's what I do on a day-to-day basis is, uh, you know, I've got those those stores. So, I mean, uh, Pet Supplies Plus, I mean, they pay my bills every day and, you know, I put that on my jersey just because I – it's a great organization and I love to, you know, be a part of what they've got going. And, uh, you know, for the, for the company, they don't really pay my way. It's your, it's your business. Family, you're, you know, you're promoting it. Cause it means it's like, yes. it matters to you. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And I mean, and I don't, and, and like I say, I, I enjoy owning the stores that I own and I'm happy to promote, you know, I'm in New York. There's a lot of Pet Supply Plus stores in New York. I'm happy to promote wherever I'm at in the USA because, like I say, I really feel like, you know, Pet Supplies Plus right now, they're the best, you know, dog and cat and pet food store there is in the country. I mean, they're all about being a neighborhood pet store and taking care of their neighbors when they come in. And, you know, that's why I bought into the franchise. And, you know, that's why I shopped there before I owned one. So... Okay. So I, I'm I'm happy to promote them. Well, I haven't seen one around me, but next time I see one, I'm going in I, and I'm gonna just ask the first person, "Hey, do you know Spike?" And see if it see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but well, that's uh, there, that's cool. I, I'll be shocked if somebody knows Spike. But I mean, it, <laughs> you know, in Texas, maybe you get up there. Uh, I don't know. It'll be iffy. Yeah, probably a little bit slimmer chance, but man, I've really appreciated the uh, the info on the St. Lawrence, just spending time talking to you, getting to know you a little bit, and uh, congratulations on the win, man, and if you've got anything else you want to plug, or, you know, some social media you want to promote, you know, this is uh, this is your time, as Chris Jones would say. Well, like I say, I really don't have much as far as that goes, um, you know, I just want to thank my family and you know my wife is very supportive and you know i think you know talking to some other guys it's hard to find and she wants me to do well and she wants me to win i mean she had homecoming for my son you know it's his senior year in high school and i was doing well in the tournament so she leaves that goes straight to the airport gets on a, a flight to new york and drives in and makes it there 10 minutes before i walk across the stage so i mean just having support like that just makes it easy to where I'm not worried about what she's going to say when I get home or I was gone two extra weeks or, you know, she wants me there because when I win, she wins. So, 
you know, it's just the the support you get from your family and like say and the guys at the stores that are working and you know, if it wasn't for them doing such a great job and giving me the freedom to go and fish instead of being there working in the stores, you know, all of that comes together to make it to where you're not worried about other stuff besides finding fish. And like I say, I'm really appreciated to all of those guys. So very cool. Well, uh, I look forward to to keep going. No doubt. Well, Spike, thanks for the time, man, and uh, congratulations on the win. It was it was a really good one. All right, thank you very much. I sure enjoyed it.